Welcome back to Rookies and Rockstars. Oh, it's been such a long week. I hate waiting for Wednesdays and when I get you, I'm so excited. It's so good to be here. The marvelous Simba is not with us today. He's out and about doing what top billing celebs do. So wherever you are, Sims, hello, and I hope it's sparkling out there. Anyway, we, last week we had so much going on. It was so awesome. Um, one of our guests was John O'Clutey. Um, I think from the week before as well. Um, he c- kind of came in and we chatted around what you should be doing health wise and how it's very important for you to be keeping healthy in order to maintain a good energy level for your business. And, since then, we've actually done the health assessments with him. It was so interesting to do. Obviously, everyone does it differently. So it was so nice just to get an idea of where my husband and I were health-wise, any habits we need to change, what kind of diet we could change or look at, and just living a healthier lifestyle in general for 2015. So it's amazing who we get to meet on Rookies and Rockstars and really as always, just to see the different industries and what the entrepreneurs in this country are doing is just so encouraging. But that was last week and the, and the weeks before. But today, we kind of, you're going to notice a little bit of a shift in, in how we are approaching conversation. And one of the things we've been getting feedback about is it's so awesome to see really, really, really inspiring entrepreneurs who own certain brands that you know or, you know, brands that you see. But one of the other things that I think is just as important as being inspired is knowing what's going on, knowing how to do it, who to ask, who to phone, what does it mean. And one of the first things we're going to chat about today is software and tech. Now, for me, this is a little bit of, well, not a little bit, it's a major freak out because it's definitely not something I know a lot about, but um, we'll chat to to John. So welcome, John Tellett. Thank you very much. Yeah, I met, uh, met John at the Sage Roundtable uh, with Steve Cohen, um, mm-hmm. which was very cool. And I knew John was my guy because John just kept firing these questions, which I think is, is important. No, 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 there really wasn't. But I think also, you know, behind, I think, every good question is just wanting to make sure that the industry and consumers are getting what they deserve and and knowing more about what software and tech looks like in your business. So just before we came into studio, John, we kind of chatted around a major transition that is happening in businesses. I think from a small scale SME right up to the large blue chips and, you know, JSC listed companies. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that you do. So, I think let's let's just unpack what the transition is and I think for most businesses they really are worried about what they should be doing to be on that wave, how do they get there, what does it look like? Yeah, for sure. This is a very interesting time. There's some some huge changes happening. Uh to a degree everyone's already starting to take steps they don't they just don't know it yet. But if you, if you look at the in technology in particular, the big things that are happening in business that the first is mobility, right? The ability to to run your business from your mobile device. All of a sudden, you're taking a look at all of these computers and laptops and and stuff in your organization, going, do I you know do I need to be spending as much on this as I thought I did? And how can I empower the staff that I have who are out in the field to do what they need to do, uh, access services from their mobile phones? And that kind of leads on to the next thing, which is the cloud. Yeah, most people are using the cloud to some degree, They're using Gmail and, and Facebook and so on. Uh, more and more services starting to move to the cloud, and we're starting to see business services now coming out of the cloud. To, and, and that's that's quite a fundamental shift because all of a sudden you don't need to be buying as much infrastructure as you did. You don't need to be over-provisioning your services. You're paying for very specifically what you need, when you need it, and no more, and it's very fast and flexible. So that's, that's empowering 
far more agile businesses than we had before. And if you aren't taking advantage of that, you can be sure your competitors will. So that that's one of those waves that you really want to have, at least in your strategy. So how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to take advantage of it? How will I counter it if somebody else does? And then I mentioned Facebook as an example of a cloud service. That's that's another big part of it, right? Is this suddenly everyone is embracing social media? How do you take advantage of that as a business? Not just using social media for promotion, but how do you understand your customers better? How do you give them what they want? Engage with them the way that they want mm. uh, information and services and customer support and that kind of thing. And then the last the last part of that really, uh, so probably the best example of this in practice is Uber, right? I'm excited about Uber not because I like the ability to get a cab whenever I wanted. Just that fundamental shift in the business model. Mm. It's about I want to know exactly what I'm going to pay, when I'm going to pay it, when it's going to arrive, and I want to be able to rate it and say, this guy was not good enough, don't send him again, and have action taken. Even though I'm one of millions of Uber users worldwide, my feedback is just as important as anyone else's. Absolutely. And that that is a fundamental shift in the way that we're delivering products and services. Isn't it just? Because I guess it's feeding, I mean, one of the points you mentioned in the beginning ar- around the transition was mobility. So it's kind of feeding straight back into that. We're finding that on the brand side as well in terms of, obviously, we're involved in a completely separate side of the business where we execute the brand experiences. But yeah. we're finding the same thing because it's, it's gone are the days where you can walk into, it looks like you are fairly fit and healthy so gone are the days where you can get on your bike and you you go say past the cradle and there's an activation there i can't just be sampling your product anymore but if i offer you a way for you to do your own thing with that brand on your mobile phone that's amazing and that's what uber have done so well did you know though with uber that they rate you yes indeed and that Ah, i like it that that is just as important we've seen for a long time we've seen the the buyer rating the supplier model right so that's the kind of thing that that ebay does amazon does and so on people rate the product but now we're starting to see the buyers being rated and that's also that's really important so if you if you're a bad customer and for for a company like uber it's it's easy to see right so if i get into the cab and i'm drunk and smelly i may not get another cab Uh, but it's the same thing for the bank right if if i if i give my bank a massive runaround and i'm incredibly demanding and i'm irrational and unfair and so on yeah, when I come to switch banks, I may find myself getting a worse you know, credit rating or something. You know, that's the kind of thing. It will start to filter down into other businesses. If I'm a bad customer, if I'm a bad citizen, there's starting to be ramifications for that. Uh, there are some interesting privacy implications in that. So, What does that mean? Well, so for example, uh, if, I'm, if I'm really terrible in a car, um, should Uber tell my insurance company? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's hectic. <laughs> yeah, should, should should insurance companies have access to the Uber driver's scores, for example? So if, if somebody's getting a fairly poor rating as a driver, I mean, that's very fundamentally what you're insuring. Should the insurance companies know about this and should they raise their premiums? Wow. Right now they can't do that. There are privacy barriers in place to prevent that okay. for, for obvious reasons. But it could – in the future – yeah, you know, what we what we see as being the barriers of privacy, they're shifting all the time. So in the future, this may become more common. Wow. Okay. So we're seeing, so a brand like Uber, beyond just how cool it is aesthetically and everything that they've created is cool, we're seeing that's an example of how a brand has moved well into the space of being mobile, being on the consumer's phone. Yeah. And they've they've cranked it. A- absolutely. And that's the kind of thing. Should everyone try to turn themselves into Uber? No, absolutely not. But there are the the fundamental lessons to be learned here are using the technology efficiently, reaching out to people through the devices that they want to use in the way that they want it to happen. Uh, that's pretty fundamental. That topsy turvy shift in in customer service and customer relationship management that's big. So and that's the kind of thing. This is the service I get from Uber now. I want that from my bank. I want that from my insurance company. I want it from the people I buy, I buy my car from. Why can't I log into the car dealer on my phone and see how far my car is through its service. Oh, I know. Actually, such a good point. But do you know where I think brands need to be very careful? And this is, it's such a tough line, John, because so this morning I'm at gym, I'm on my phone and I've downloaded this music app and I'm gone onto my playlist and then these ads come. Download our app, download our app. Now, I don't know. It's a, it's actually a um, car brand. My car, the car brands app. Now for me, 
I don't actually, now I'm so pissed off that they've put this in my space where I'm gymming that even if that app is exactly what you're saying, and it probably is that, it probably is feeding straight into me being able to track my where my car is, how, how much longer it's going to be, what time I can collect it. And that's what that's what's annoying about that, you know, like syncing the two because it's great that they've developed this amazing app, but then just be careful about how you market that to me. So, yeah, there's there's two things we should really talk about here, a general and a specific one. The specific one is this. Is your car in for a service right now? It was on Friday. But it's not anymore. No. So why do you want the app now? It doesn't make sense now, right? So the ad is completely wasted. So they don't, they lack that contextual oh, yeah. awareness of you, right? That's what they've got wrong. If your car it was in for a service right now, you might be looking at it going, hey, wow, actually, yeah, thanks. I'd like that. But now here's the other thing. The advertising models that we're using on mobile have basically just grown out of banner advertising on the web, and that's pretty broken. So we're taking a broken model and we're trying to force it down into people's phones. Yeah, Frank- I agree. Frankly, that sucks. So that is that is going to change. Uh, there is absolutely no question that it will change. Right? It's going to change fairly slowly because there's an awful lot of momentum. There's a lot of money involved, but it is going to change because of what, exactly what you've described. People don't like it. This is not what they want. This is not how they want products to find them. So let's just – Let's just isolate this whole transition of where technology is moving for businesses and on mobile. If I'm a business owner and I'm completely freaking out that everything is still manual, there's still paper trails, I haven't even, I'm still on Outlook, I haven't, I don't even know what Google Plus, when people talk about it at Browse, I'm embarrassed. Um, so let's pretend I'm that person. Yeah. How, what are the first steps that we can take to create the vision of where we can get to, what that looks like, and where we can start? Because, you know, John, the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur is that there are so many things we have to do every day. Yep. You know, and, and not, not everybody can afford the luxury of an IT department. Not everyone can afford the luxury of having a John Tallett walk in and give you the 16 solutions you need. So... If I'm that person and, and I've, I've kind of been hearing these buzzwords and, and I'm thinking, flip, it's 2015 and I actually need to get my A into G, where do we start? So let's, let's put you in, in the space of exactly what you, you've described. So you're a busy entrepreneur. You've got a lot of other stuff to do. What you would normally do in, in, in that situation is you would, you'd get an IT contractor to come and provision a server of some sort and install software and maintain it and look after your PCs and your printers and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes. So you'd, you'd have probably another small company because um, you probably won't be affording you know, one of the top flight consultants. So it'll be a little guy who comes in and looks after stuff, and that's fine. But now a lot of that cost is very inefficient. So what you really want to be doing is looking at it and saying – so I'm I'm buying a server, and he's going to recommend that I buy a server that's big enough that it'll handle whatever com- size my company grows to over the course of its depreciation, so for three years, let's say. Yeah. So you're buying a server that's big enough for how big you want to be in three years' time. So you've sunk all that money into something, and if it doesn't happen, you've wasted it. What happens if you grow faster? Well, now you have to buy another one. So terribly inefficient spending. Um, and When something breaks, you've got to call the guy back. So he's not... And it's so yeah. hard because we have it all the time because we can't – it kills me, yeah. but we can't fix it. Yeah. So what you want, what do you want to start doing here is, what, is two things probably. The first thing you want to do is start simplifying your infrastructure as much as possible. Okay. So start to explore other possibilities. Uh, do you need a full-blown server? If most of what you're using a server for is sharing files, then you probably just want – a NAS unit, right? So network attached storage, a little box that you stick all your files on. It'll cost you a tiny fraction of what the server would cost. It'll be a hell of a lot more robust, and it will just do the job. Um, chances are you're using your, your server for two things, you're using it for files and using it for email. So move your email into the cloud. Uh, that just makes more sense. It's more it's more easily managed. It's more cost-effective. You're only paying for the users you've got, not for the users you think you might have in three years' time. So um, like Gmail, hey? So well, G- Gmail is is probably a bad example to be honest. Because, oh why? We're uh, on Gmail. Oh no! It's, so I, I say it's a bad example just because it's it's sitting in the U.S. Right. So some fisherman puts an anchor through an undersea cable, and all of a sudden you lose access to Gmail. That kind of thing. Right? Oh. It's relatively high risk. It's sitting in a U.S. jurisdiction. So if you've got sensitive information, are you happy with that? Yeah, th- there are potential issues. I'm not saying it's a 
bad thing. Just be aware of the issues. Uh, if those are a concern for you, then look at a local hosting provider. Uh, there's lots of. Uh, so who is one or two? Oh, uh, there there are hundreds. Like honest, honestly, example. MTN Business. MTN Business. Sure. Oh wow. So get get See, them. I had no idea they did that. So get them to to run a hosted uh, hosted exchange for you. Okay. So, uh, so now you're getting. What was it called? So hosted exchange. So oh, it's basically hosted ex- exchange. exchange, which is which is your Microsoft email uh, platform. Um, it'll it'll be sitting in their data center, so you'll have uh, all the usual access to it. It's just it's backed up and it's power protected and it's relatively bulletproof. So. If you're an exchange user today, don't run an exchange server in your business unless you have a really good reason to. And there are people who do have good reasons to, but being a small business is not one of them. So get that off your premises as quickly as you can. That gives you lots of other advantages. When your power goes out, your entire infrastructure dies in your office, but you've got a laptop with an internet connection. Oh, look, your email still works. Mm. Instead, now your server's gone down because UPS has run out of power and your email is completely dead. Moving it into the cloud is actually more power resilient. And heaven knows we have power problems these days. So, right? <laughs> that we do. So this is one way to tackle that. Or you can look at, or you, I mean, you can kit out your entire building with generators and inverters and UPSs and stuff. But it'll cost you a fortune. Absolutely. So not a great decision. Okay, cool. So we can move so emails move, move onto, stuff into the cloud okay. where you can. And then uh, we chatted about my example. So um, one of the reasons why we started investigating the server was because we've just upgraded to the new Sage. And so, obviously, the accounts need to be handled via a server-type thing. Why but do they? I don't, so, that's, so that's what my question is. What is the difference, then, between the NAS box that you've just spoken about and a server? Okay. So, well, so a NAS box is basically a stripped-down server, if you like. But let's talk quickly about Sage. Sage is a really good example of a line of business application that's moved to the cloud. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can deploy it on a server on your premises if you really need to. But to be honest, if you're a small business, you're probably using something like Pastel. It's provisioned out of the cloud. Put it in the oh, cloud. oh, it might actually be Pestle. And then just don't worry about it. Now, you don't have to worry about maintaining the server and backing up the server and updating the server and applying service patches and malware and all that. No, it's So you don't need problem. a server or the NAS box for Pestle? No, not at all. Oh, my heck. So okay. For that kind of thing. And then, and now again, it may, it, now you have mobile users or you just want to you know, access your payroll from home and that kind of thing. Now, if that's sitting on your, on your work premises, you have to worry about yeah, secure remote access, all that kind of stuff. But if it's in the cloud, that's just implicit. So, so where would we go to to do to access the pestle from a cloud? Like, what's a cloud solution just that we could? A, you just use a web browser and you just you just point it at the, the hosted pestle, uh, and that's something that Sage will very happily sell you uh, per user per month. Um, oh wow! Okay, amazing. Yeah, not, this is also a good model for for companies like Sage because they have a lot of uh, third party companies who do add on solutions, right? So there, there's a really there's a really nifty uh, product called Sage Inventory Advisor, uh, which if you run a, a largish company with um, with lots of inventory to maintain, it keeps track of it and advises you on what you should be doing. Uh, but that's not actually a Sage product. So the third party that was invented in Australia, it just snaps into to them, uh, and it's really easy to do it in the cloud. A little more complicated if it's on premise. So moving to a cloud model really allows for this more agile, more mm-hmm. flexible sort of approach. And th- that's so when I say that's kind of the transition that we're going through. That's what you should be looking for. Um, the next step we'll be we'll be going towards is start stripping out the bits of the product you don't need. Right. So if you're using Pastel, maybe you're only using it for payroll, not for accounts. So why are you paying for the accounts? Okay, Start yeah. asking your providers, why am I paying you for the features I'm not using? Yeah. I only want to pay for the features I'm using and only for the, the people that I'm using it for. That's kind of where we're moving towards. That very granular approach, very cost contained. And that, so right now we're going through that shift from capital expenditure to operational expenditure. So moving yeah. stuff from buying infrastructure to yeah, a more flexible kind of cloud type model. Uh, the next step will be that very granular OPEX, which is kind of the holy grail, where all of the risks of over-provisioning are there for the service provider. You will only pay very specifically for what you want. Wow. So we'll get there. We will get there. Let's let's talk about the NAS thing again. So uh, probably, like I said, the two reasons why people get a a server tend to be email and and files uh, or for a specific application like Pastel, which you probably can move to the cloud fairly easily. So so email, ideally you want to move off-premise. It just makes sense. Uh, Files, that's a very specific server function. You don't need an internet server which is capable of serving web pages and handling email and doing all this other stuff and files to only be doing files. Mm. Why are you paying for all of that if you're only doing this one very small thing? Yeah. So 
And then it's not even doing that well, right? Because it can do all this other stuff, but you've got to build it out in order to be resilient. So if a hard drive fails, are you failing over to other drives? If your power fails, how is it backed up? How is it protected? All this stuff, right? These are things you add to a server to make it do all this. So a NAS box, ideally what you want to buy is, is a network storage device yeah. that only does storage. Um, what is a good brand? So the the big storage guys do them, right? So uh, Seagate, for example, has, oh, yeah, has a, a NAS the unit. Seagate ones. Um, a product I looked at quite recently was from a brand called Synology, an uh, American brand. And that's really quite a phenomenal device. So it's it's basically it's a storage device. It takes five drives. It's completely resilient. Uh, but it has these downloadable software modules. So if you want to turn it into a media center to stream media, you, you just download a, a module that does that. If you want to turn it into a fully-fledged internet server, you just download a little module that does that. Pretty cool. Uh, costing you know, sort of about a quarter the price of a, of a server uh, for this unit. Um, wow. And yeah, fully redundant, fully resilient. That's great. And that, that's a good buy. That make, that's a much more efficient use of your infrastructure spent. Now, that's the kind of thing you do want on premise. If you've got, you know, 10 terabytes of data, yeah. you don't really want that in the cloud, right? That's no, good. no, no, no. And also it's, it's, um, a lot of it is because we deal in a kind of design conceptual space, a lot of yeah. it needs to be IP protected. So it's not, I don't really care about the emails, to be fair. If that's in the States, I'm aware of the risk. Yeah. yeah that's a decision but you can make. The add-ons around all the other features of the Gmail for us as a business, like the video, the Google Plus, all that, it's worth it. Yep, 100%. But, when, yeah, so you're, you know, as an agency, when you're working with large files and stuff like that, you really don't want to be moving huge creatives around. That's, no. that's, moving that in and out of the cloud is a bad idea. So don't keep that in house, but focus on a, a piece of infrastructure which does that very well, not something which does everything okay. Yeah, so, so the NAS box around is probably going to sound so retarded, but just bear with me. <laughs> Um, the NAS box, does it, ser- does it serve a similar purpose? We've got like a modem network. So does that, can that operate from like a Wi-Fi point of view or does it actually, do your cables have to go into each? So, uh, or can you? You can run it off wireless for sure. Okay. Uh, in so general, if we've got two floors, can the first and second floor access the NAS box? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Just bear in mind that of course over wireless, it's a little bit slow. So, because just because of the network speed, um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, a decent NAS will very happily work over a wireless connection without any problems at all. Oh wow! So that's so like Synology now, for example, hmm. is that only? So we'd obviously only be able to purchase that online from. No, no, there are there are uh, local retailers. So you, you, if you go online, you'll find local uh, sites. Oh, divine. So oh. roughly, so roughly, how much does that retail for? Like, what would we be looking so at? The, the the chassis that, that I looked at that has all of the kind of the downloadable modules and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that's about twelve grand for the chassis. Okay. Um, the expense will normally be the drives, right? So, uh, so a, a six terabyte drive will cost you about four thousand rand. Uh, if you fully pack the thing out with five of them, you can do the maths, right? It's gonna be twenty k. So that's you're spending more on the drives than you are on the chassis, which is the way it should be. If you're buying a server, you would spend a, a hell of a lot of money on the server and the Windows license and all the rest of it, and then you'd still be spending that money on the drives. Yeah. So stop it. So yeah, spend, and I guess spend, also spend, yeah, keep keep the money on the housing to a minimum. Spend the money on the thing you need, which is the drives. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the the benefit of it is, for us initially, it would just be the memory, and then we could add on those other things that you mentioned, for you sure. know, around media streaming and all that yeah, kind of thing. For sure. So but if you get to the point where you find yourself downloading modules that are turning the thing into a fully blown internet server, then you probably need an internet server. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Also, also, I guess. What we what what we make the mistake of doing all the time is that we look at it as that outlay. So I'd be looking at the chassis of twelve and that one drive of five. That's seventeen k. But we don't think actually the efficiency saved and the money saved in time wasting of how we're currently doing it, accessing it off external hard drives where we have to literally carry the thing around the office is mental. Hmm. So there, and there are other things you want to look at. So. Um, yeah. If if you've got a small server right now, the chances are it's not particularly robust. Yeah. And you can do this as yeah either as a thought experiment or you could try it for real. Yank a drive out of the server and see what happens. How long does it take you to recover from a backup? How long does it take you to get back on your feet? What is the impact to your business? Um, if you can't yank a drive out and just keep working, then you're doing it wrong. Okay. That, that's bad IT. 
you know, this is the kind of anytime someone says to me, I, I can't do this because I'm offline or because my server's broken or because whatever. Like, well, no, why? The, that is not acceptable. In the, I mean, seriously, this is the 21st century. Stuff <laughs> is, yeah, servers keep going if pieces break. And if you, if it doesn't, then you've got the wrong server, I'm afraid. So, so for example, you've got a, a NAS unit with five drives. What will normally happen is it'll be in a RAID configuration. So you'll have redundant disks, right? So if a disk fails, all that'll happen is you'll get a little pop-up message that says, hey, a disk has failed. You should probably replace it, but nothing's broken. All your data is still there. It's all still working. It's all fine. Just replace the disk when you can, and I'll copy stuff back on, and you're good. You know, if your power fails, you really want to just have your backup battery that's only protecting that one little thing. So the server keeps running. Uh, the files are still available. Use a wireless network, your laptop, so you can still keep working. Nothing is down. Your business is not offline because ESCOM is. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, that's And that's probably the biggest message I want to get across to people is, if your business is being negatively impacted by stuff like ESCOM or crummy IT, whatever it is, then don't put up with that. That's not where we're at. This is the 21st century. We can put probes on comets. You know, we can keep going through a power outage. We can keep going when disks fail. Just do it right. Yeah, and I think I think that's the hardest thing, like when you just don't know. Like, for example, now, if – I was sitting there and I knew that we needed to find a solution to the storage. What, where would I, how would I start that like, research step, step, process? Step one is to understand that there is a solution. There's always a solution. Okay. Any IT guy who says to you it can't be done or it's impossible, those, those are kind of your flags, right? Anyone <laughs> who says that to you is incompetent. Show them the door. Get someone who knows what they're talking about. But where do you find them, John? That's the whole thing. We've, I think we've gone through a series of five IT guys. and yep. Well, that's good. It's good that you're not sticking with the ones that are crap. <laughs> no, it is. It is. But I mean, you just want to find people who are honest and just say, cool, we actually don't need to invest 80K in the server. A 20K NAS box is cool. But yep. where are they? So here's, here's the thing. Um, right now, this is the transition we are going through that we haven't completed yet. You have no way, unfortunately, there's, there's no Uber model for tech support. There's no way for you to rate these guys and say, they're rubbish, other than, you know, Hello Peter or, or something, right? Yeah. But there, there's no easy way to do this. So the, w- the way that the internet solves this is by building communities. So what, you, what, uh, true. Yeah? So Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, social networks where you can ask for recommendations, where you can find out, um, who's got a good reputation, who's giving good service, who's helping people bring down their costs or sort of weather the outages and that kind of thing. Good point. Um, so ask for recommendations. Use the social media the way it should. I mean, that's why I use that as it's one of the big waves that's happening right now in, in tech is that it's driving this. And the guys who aren't getting recommendations on social media, ask yourself why. Absolutely. So we've um, come to the end of our of our chit-chat. But, I mean, John, beyond – so we've, we've chatted – the one good thing that you've said is if you are using anything that is affected by ESCOM – or by an outage, whatever it is, and it breaks down when that go, when that breaks down, that's not good. Is there another nugget, just one more thing to do with this whole category of your business that people should know? Yeah, so, so first point, terrible IT is not acceptable. Don't put up with it. It's absolutely not okay. Second thing is, yeah, have a three-year plan for your business that involves technology and ask yourself this question. So those, those key areas, social, mobile, cloud, customers. What are you doing about those four key areas? And build a strategy around it. If you don't have a strategy for that, your competitor will. You will be the taxi company when Uber comes along. So just say it one more time. So it was social, social mobile. mobile, cloud, and customer data. Okay, perfect. John, that's amazing. Jeepers. I think this is the least I've spoken ever. Duncan's <laughs> looking at me, I think, because… It's because I've been rambling. <laughs> and no, it's because there's just so much to learn, and it's so awesome. And I hope that wherever you are with your business, that you've listened to what John has had to say. We will definitely get John back if he's willing. Um, because always, always happy. And <laughs> yeah, if people have specific questions or specific concerns, yeah, they, they can write and hook up on, on WeChat or whatever and, and send through a question, and we'll tackle it in the future. 
Okay, are you on? Is it under your personal name? So, so John- I, I'm not on WeChat, but I'm aware the show is. So, uh, awesome. So they can send questions yes, absolutely. So, um, if John does return, or if you have any questions from today, just send those messages onto WeChat, and we will f- ask John, and we'll feed them back to you, and also feed them via our at Rookies Rockstars Twitter handle. So, thanks so much for coming in, John. It's been awesome. Always a pleasure, Jade. And um, I'll let you know. I'm gonna look into the Synology NAS box. This week, you know what, I'll send you. I, I did a review of a, of a unit. Uh, I'll send you a link to that, and you can share that with your listeners. Oh, amazing! Yeah, awesome. So we'll let you know how it goes, and um, getting our saving time, saving money, doing all those wonderful things. So thanks so much, John, and we will see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back now. Now, cliffcentral.com. First you loved me and I let you in Made me feel like I was born again You empowered me, you made me strong Built me up and I could do no wrong I let down my guard, I fell into your arms Forgot who I was, I didn't hear the alarms Now I'm down on my knees, alone in the dark I was blind to your game, you fired a shot in my heart Uncensored, Welcome back. Oh my gosh, you know, I just, I love, love, love who we get to chat to here because it's guys like John. I just, there's so much to learn and I, and I think that it's, it's so important that wherever you are in your business, um, and especially 
Um, it doesn't matter if you're about to open or whether you've been going for 15 years. Technology can actually just improve the efficiencies. It can make everything so much more streamlined. So don't be afraid to just ask. And like John was saying, ask on Facebook. Ask people, what you know, where do I get hold of an IT guy? What do I do? Who's someone that you trust? All those kinds of things, do it. Because I'm already now, after that conversation, I'm looking into the Synology NAS box. Listen to me, I'm like all lingoed out here. But yeah, John will definitely be back. And something we'll probably touch on is going to be around security. So if you are worried about how you protect your data, how you protect important files, that kind of thing, I think that we're going to have a wonderful conversation with John around that. So we will keep you posted. For now, though, we're going to move into also quite a serious topic. Um, and I think that most of you are guilty, as was I and still am to a certain extent, of not doing this well enough, especially if you're a small business. I can guarantee you that you really aren't paying enough attention to your HR issues and, and staff and all the things that revolve around that. So with me today is the ever, ever, ever so, like, I don't even, the fountain of knowledge that this woman has is unreal. She helps me all the time and many people around us. Jessica, welcome. Thank you, Jade. Happy yeah. to be here. Good. Um, Jessica is from HR Infusion and recently assisted um, somebody I know with, with quite a, with quite a, not a severe, but I think it, it, the way Jessica found the solutions and consulted prevented it from becoming something ugly. And honestly, there's just so much around this topic that we could be here for days. But for now, what Jessica has made me aware of, and I'm not sure if you are aware of it, so we want to chat around it a little bit in the beginning, and then we'll get onto other smaller Issues around letters of appointment, how do you assess your staff, what's the communication, those kinds of things. But for now, Jessica, you mentioned that the Labor Relations Amendment Act 6 of 2014 has gone live in January. So let's talk about that and what it actually means. All right. Yes, um, uh, there's been quite a few amendments to the Act. And um, the one thing that stands out for me is the freelance issue. Um, it's going to be. It's more around the uh, about labour brokers, but also around freelancers. We employ freelancers on a regular basis, and when you look again, the person's been there for a year or two years, and you think nothing of it to extend their contract. But the consequences for companies if they do this is that they are now um, the freelancer are now a permanent staff member, and. All the benefits that a normal staff member enjoys, this freelancer must enjoy. So I think going forward, companies will have to be very careful in employing freelancers and also make sure that they, um, you know, follow the law in this respect. Yeah, so let's let's talk about a scenario to make it because that sounds – very hectic. Mm-hmm. So I just want to I just want to unpack it in in that a way that we can all understand. So I own BBC Productions, and for the last two years, um, I've had a freelancer. The well, let's just say in the beginning, I had a freelancer coming in, and there was enough. In the beginning, the work kind of she would work three months on, then the work wasn't coming in, and then eventually we got such great accounts mm. that actually this freelancer just kind of has never really left our payroll. Yes. She's been paid monthly mm. um, on her freelance salary for, for 24 months. Yes, that person will now automatically be a permanent person in your employment. Even without an employment contract? Even without an employment oh. contract. So yes. what, Okay, so what does that mean for both parties? So well, for the employee and the employer, what does that mean? Well, for, for the employee means that uh, eff- uh, effectively they've got a permanent position. For the employer, it means that you now have to change the contract and make sure this person is a permanent employer and enjoys all the benefits of all your other employees. Like, for instance, if you've got medical aid for other employees, this person has to be on medical aid. If you've got a provident fund or a pension scheme, this person also has to belong to the provident fund. Effectively, it could mean a lot of costs for companies. Costs, cost of company could increase. But, um, yeah, so that's what So who's tracking means. that? So, I mean, let's just say, for example, so we, you mentioned that it actually came from the post office strike. Yes, the post office strike effectively was, um, the main reason for it was around 
freelancers that expected to be employed indefinitely. And then contracts ended and they were unhappy. And yes, my, one of the main reasons of the strike was because freelancers effectively wanted permanent positions. That's unbelievable. So, so let's say now this, so this has definitely gone live, right? It's, it's yes, active. No, it's definitely active from the 1st of January. Okay. So who's going to track the companies and, and them converting the freelance contract into an employment contract? Well, they haven't put a time constraint on it. Okay. But if there's an unhappy employee, they could take it to the CCMA and effectively a company can be found that they're not within the law. And so, so this freelancer think, is unhappy. Yes, I don't think the government's really going to track uh, culprits as such. But the employee has got, can go to the CCMA and can make the CCMA aware of the practices going on in a company. And in your, in your experience and how many years you've been in this industry, mm. how aware or informed are staff? Very, very informed. Really? You know, the internet, there's so much information on the internet. And, um, yes, the information's in abundance and employees are really informed. Wow. About laws, more so than sometimes than employers, I would say. Wow. So, so we chatted a little around the current jawbone case that you're, that you're helping us with, which is a good one. The one, um, we're obviously employing a new pro- project manager. Yes. And, um, We've chosen to kind of do things right from the start. Um, yes. Obviously, you know, our business doesn't really require right now an entire HR department, which a lot of a lot of you will also not need. You know, you might have a team of five, six, seven, even 30, which doesn't really require an HR department. But what Jessica and I discussed, and I phoned her this week, and I said, you know, Jessica, I just want to do it right I want to know what I should be doing to protect the employee as well as me. I mean, exactly. I don't, I don't always. Yes, not always just for an employer. Yeah. And I, I think that's also the next thing. Mm. I don't always think the employers really care. Whereas our team and our culture and how we operate, we do. Mm. Um, you would have even noticed that from previous, um, you know, previous cases that you yes. helped us with. Yes, we were trying to protect ourselves from anything going bad, but we also truly do care about the individual. Exactly. So if we talk now around this new example, and I think this is really, Jessica, where people need people like you. Because, number one, it's exactly like John, who was just in here with IT. People don't know who to phone. So obviously the first thing I do is share it on Facebook. I mean, I did it, um, I think, in December already, saying if anyone needs help around this, you know, contact you. Mm. And if I see anyone asking about about labor law or HR things, the first thing I'll do is refer. But if we talk about the, the new position, so if you own your business and you're about to employ somebody, I just want Jessica to talk you through what that should look like on paperwork. And even yesterday, just something that she said to me after we'd kind of written out the letter of appointment is the assessing after that and how frequently you are tracking your staff, talking to yourself. So let's talk about that, Jessica. Yes. From the time we realize that somebody is going to join the team, what do we do? Okay. The first thing we'll do a letter of, 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 of employment. So you'll both sign off of employment and then the next thing we'll do to do a contract. Uh, the contract is there to basically cover both the employee and the employer. Make sure that every issue um, is dealt with in your contract. Uh, make it uh, as comprehensive as possible. So you're talking leave, pay, leave, sick leave. Pay, sick leave, office hours. Uh, even uh, smoking areas could be discussed in a, a employment contract in, in regard to the smoking laws. So uh, salary. Um, a place of business, how are you going to con- conduct business? Yeah. Um, if you employ a person on a certain client, they would expect to work on their client. But what if you need them to work on another client? So Stipulate that stipulate all. Stipulate every aspect of the um, person's job in your contract. And for the larger teams who are kind of regulating KPIs, mm. um so the letter of appointment is kind of that initial you've been you've been awarded kind of this probation period of 3 months you know that a probation period doesn't exist in the law anymore oh wow so in order to to yes a, a person is employed permanently from day 1 
So the probation period in terms of the law doesn't exist. But to, for employers to cover themselves, in the first month, do a job review. Yeah, communication. This is, what, this is what we've chatted about. Yes. So, how does that look? The job review. So, okay, it can look. It can be a conversation okay. between the two of you. Are you coping? Um, is there? Do you need any help? Is there any training courses that might bet, help you to better your job? Things like that. You know, open communication. And after the communication, just a little email to say, "This is what we've discussed. This is the way forward." And if there is a problem, then following up on the problem. Um, if there's not a problem, obviously you can do a three-month review and say, you, you know, carries, we carry on as a, a permanent okay. in, in a permanent position. And so if the company doesn't have an HR department like we've done, we've kind of put somebody in charge of all HR matters. Mm. Do we, is it, is it fine on email that we just, you know, that we just confirm what we spoke about in the review or does it have to be on a letterhead and is there a whole different letter? No, not necessarily. Okay. As long just as it's documented. As long as you've got, yeah, document all your conversations, I would say, because it could become a, a he said, she said situation afterwards. You so don't want that. So we could, we could document minutes and then just make them sign to be yes, safe. You can do that as well. But just a, uh, an email between the two of this is what we discussed, this is what we decided, and this is the way forward. As easy as that. Okay, perfect. So we've got the letter of employment. It's now not an appointment letter because really, you know, the, the letter of appointment used to kind of always include that three-month probation. And if you're saying that's kind of being wavered. Well, in terms of the law, it doesn't exist. You employ employee from day one. If there is a problem, you can't after three months let the employee work for three months, do no paperwork, no conversation. After three months, say, sorry, you're not cut out for the job. We have to dismiss you. There's, you must be procedurally correct mm. when you deal with problems. So follow up, paperwork, communication. We have, we've had this talk. Uh, training, very important. Yes, we, if, we touched on that yesterday. So mm. let's talk around that training because mm. you were saying companies and business owners don't realize the cost of of you, you said something like staff on one on one. What were you saying? Yes, when staff train new staff, you don't realize the cost, the hourly cost of training that person. So, you know, it, training, it's not always formal training. Training is the person doing the same job as you, sitting with you for a half a day, showing you how this works, that works. So it's not always formal training. Training can be one-on-one uh, -on -one staff training as well and if the person needs it get somebody to sit with that person and train them yeah so okay so you're saying that during that review process ask say mm. if you are doing well we, like you said if how are you doing okay we've noticed this area is a little bit needs a little bit of work or you mm. seem to be a little bit challenged here um do you want some training? Correct. Are you saying, you are have you saying, to offer okay. training. Yes. Oh, offer you do? Training. Okay. If you've employed somebody in that position, you've done the interview. Hopefully in the interview process, you've sorted, you've, you've made sure this person can do the job. But if there are aspects of the job that the person can't do, you have to provide training. You have to provide this person with the skill to do the job that you've employed them to, for. Okay. Mm. And then, Let's say it was quite a generic thing, like it might just be Excel or Word. Mm. Would we then just get somebody, put them on a course, and then we would document that they've been on this course, and if they're still not doing well in that area, how many times do you have to offer training? Well, you know what? It depends on the employer. Okay. Not everybody needs to go on a course to Excel. I mean, you can have a fellow employee helping that person on Excel. So it's not always formal, formal training, Okay. but some sort of training, and it Depends on the employer and the employee really what they need to acquire that skill to help them to do their job. Okay. And so once, so we've employed their person, we've gone through the review and they are not cutting it. Okay. They just, it hasn't, so regardless of three months or whatever it is, let's just say after four months, they just, we, we thought we'd give them one more chance, one more chance. And actually, the team are complaining. It's showing in their results. How do we tackle that? Okay. The, you, you would have had the reviews, the job reviews. So you've got a paper trail yes. of how you landed up at this situation. So then, also when you do a review, you'll say, you know what, we're giving you, we'll have a weekly meeting to see where you're at. 
with what you're battling with. Then the next step would be either disciplinary action, um, where you have to be procedural correct as well. You have to implement the disciplinary procedure. The employee has to be informed what they are being disciplined about, be very um, explicit about you what they've done and not done, uh, and according to the employer, what skills they don't have to do the job. Yeah. The next thing will be then to set up a disciplinary meeting where you appoint a chairman to give this employee a chance to defend themselves. Okay. How come they can't do this, that, and the next? Or what prevents them to do their job? And then take it from there, whatever the the consequences of the disciplinary action is, both parties must accept and be fair. It's fair for the employer and fair for the employer uh, to be fair in the actions. Yeah, absolutely. It's no use for an employee who's been employed to do a job and they can't do the job and feel incompetent. That's also not fair on the employee. No, absolutely. So it's not fair for the employer, but at the same time, not fair for the employee. So, so Jessica, I mean, there's, it's cr- crazy how the time flies. You won't, you, you won't believe it, but I obviously found you, um, through, through Rena, which is such a blessing because oh. you are unbelievable. No, Rena's my mentor. <laughs> she taught me everything on you. I know. <laughs> um, but where, where do people get hold of you? So I know that you said you're working on your marketing elements. Yes. I know it's called HR Infusion. Yes. But if anybody who does want to, you know, sort out their staff issues or who has got a current issue they want to tackle. Yes. Um, where can people get hold of you? Well, I've, you can get hold of me on, on email. Okay. Basically at this stage. Okay. Um, I don't like to give my phone number out no, unless no, no, no. I phone you and you're welcome to do that. Okay. But, on my email, which is Jessica G R E at Gmail dot com. Okay, so J J E S S I C A G R E at Gmail dot com. Correct. So Jessica G R E at Gmail dot com. Correct. And people can just contact you there and you are obviously give them your rate, you explain they explain what they need and from there you just move forward. That's it. Wow. So, I mean, also, just like I said to John, Jessica, I think that the knowledge you hold and just the way that you've supported our team and what you offer from an experience point of view is amazing. So we'd love to have you back. Okay. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this new act rolls out okay. and how it affects businesses. So thank you so much for coming in. Such a pleasure. Thanks um, for having me. Pleasure. And we will definitely see you soon. And hopefully I'll be able to feed back to you that the new employee is doing well. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks again, and um, always a pleasure to have such knowledge on on rookies and rock stars. Such a pleasure. But we will, we are out, and we will see you guys. See you guys. Listen to me. We will be back next week, Wednesday, eleven to twelve, on rookies and rock stars.